just continue to pray and, and see what happens. This morning, we're continuing our series, Unstuck. And hopefully, last week, you heard a little bit about what does it mean to get unstuck when we are caught up in the difficulties of life, the trials of life, the sorrows of life, the challenges of life that can just kind of act like cement and get us stuck in a place where we just can't seem to get moving forward, where we can't get going to where God wants us to be. So this morning, we are talking about unstuck. We're talking about what it means to be unsafe. Hopefully you realize today that we live in an unsafe world. What do I mean by that? Well, we are always going to be under attack. And that's not necessarily a bad thing because it strengthens us. You know, I I love to exercise and, and I love to go to the gym. And the harder I work, the harder I break down my body, the stronger I get. If I don't work hard, it's not going to get any better. If I skip the gym, I'm not going to get any stronger. In the same way in our faith, temptation, as we go through it and as we overcome it on a regular basis, it makes us stronger in our faith. It helps us rely greater on God and the Holy Spirit to help us through it. And it continues to build who we are in our faith. God uses the trials, the challenges, even the temptations in our lives to shape us into the person He wants us to be. So if you want to jump ahead, we'll, we'll get to this in a few minutes, but if you want to jump ahead to 1 Peter chapter 5, we're going to be looking at, at verse 6 through 9. But before we get there, I want to share a story. I kind of want to frame our conversations in this series called Unstuck with Stories. Because really what we're talking about is real life. What happens in the day-to-day experiences of our lives? What happens at work? What happens at home? What happens in the places that we spend the majority of our time? And how do we experience temptation in those times? And it's interesting as we talk about this, this word stuck, sometimes it, it, it's like, we're, have you ever been stuck in mud and you're trying to get out and you just can't and, it, and you're just fighting and the more you fight, the, the harder it is to get out and finally you need someone to grab you and pull you out? Sometimes that's what temptation can be like. But the church sometimes, the body of Christ, in our desire to help people or call out sin or to uh, combat this temptation, sometimes when someone's in the mud, instead of throwing them a line or, or reaching in and pulling them out, we tend to just yell at them and tell them what they're doing wrong. And so this morning we want to talk about what should be our response to those kinds of situations. So fear and anxiety are both temptations, are, are challenges, and they can be emotions, but those are things that can tempt us away from what God wants for us and wants us to do. So last week I shared a story about my experience in high school and a friend of mine. Uh, what I didn't share last week is after, uh, and just to catch you up, a friend of mine in high school, the last day of, of school, was killed in an auto accident and, uh, you know, that was a really challenging time. But for me, it was instrumental in drawing me into where God wants me to be and calling me into youth ministry. But that next, that summer, or that next year, uh, that summer I was baptized. And then the next year, I went to a youth conference called Impact 90. 90 stands for 1990. So, yes, it was a long time ago. <laughs> 
But what's funny is there's a few people that were here that were actually at that conference. My wife was at that conference. Um, Pastor Michael and Valerie were at that conference. Uh, didn't know each other, never met each other then. But at this conference, the theme was, was called, Here Am I, Send Me. And the conference was all about God calling us to the more that He wants and desires for us. And at that conference, God began to speak to me in a really deep way about calling me fully into what His plan was for my life. As I told you last week, coming out of the loss of a, of a, real, of a friend, Scott, God really challenged me to take every opportunity I could to share my faith and to not miss an opportunity because I, I chose not to do that with Scott when God was telling me to do so. Uh, but God has a way, and I truly believe Scott is in heaven today because God led someone else to him and shared his faith as that story un, unraveled later on with our friends. But as we talk through this, that was a catalyst to God working deeper in my life to giving my life to him fully. But then as, as we went to this, uh, co- this conference in December of 1999, God said to me, who will go for us? And for me, that was at first a call to go on the missions field as a short term um, that, the next summer to Zambia and Zimbabwe. But that was also when, when some conflicts happened in Africa that, that next year in 91, and we couldn't go on that trip. But God was continuing to speak to me. I'm calling you to more, to full-time ministry, and, and what are you going to do? And so I said, you know, here am I, just like Isaiah, here am I, send me. But over the course of the next few years, as I was going through high school, we all have been, many of us have been there. Some of you aren't quite there yet, but you'll get there. And high school can be a time of all kinds of change and questions. What does God really want me to do? And answering that question can be difficult. And so I always wanted to be a professional athlete. You know, and a lot of you probably thought about that. Got one of the, I think most of the guys, we want to be a professional athlete sometime or a professional in something other than a job. Um, not that being a professional athlete isn't a job. Um, but that's what I wanted to do, and then, and then I wanted to go in the military, and then I wanted to do this, and every time that temptation of getting drawn away from the path that God was calling me on, he came back to me and said, I called you to something more. Are you willing to keep following that more of what I called you to? But in the midst of that, there was a temptation to take another road. Sometimes it was fear and anxiety over, does God really want me to just give up all my dreams and all my hopes to do something like ministry? Man, that's hard. I've talked to, my, to pastors. I have pastors or mentors. It's not easy. Do I really want to go there? And that temptation was many years of trying to figure out what I'm supposed to do. But thankfully... God showed me just a little bit at a time. I don't know about you, but sometimes God, instead of putting a floodlight in front of us so we can see years ahead, He only gives us a flashlight so we can see just the next step because that's all we can handle. And for me, that's the way it was through high school and then into college as God was drawing me to ministry because ministry is not easy. And just as I talked about last week, losing, some, losing a friend named Scott in high school, um, just to add to that, the following year, a, uh, another student in our 
in our gray committed suicide. And, and, and that was, again, a traumatic experience. But what was amazing about that was because of what happened the year before with Scott, God had begun to work on me as to how I could be available to people and, and how he was beginning to shape me personally. And so um, our, this young lady uh, in, our, in our class uh, committed suicide on a Saturday night. On Monday morning, we came to school and found out about it. And for that next week, we were given basically freedom to walk out of classroom whenever we needed to, um, to, to go find help, to find a counselor, to talk to someone. And God gave me an opportunity for that week to just talk to and pray with my classmates and begin to just love on them and talk to them about Jesus in the midst of that. It would have been so easy to walk away and just say, you know what, someone else can do that. But God at that point was still teaching me and, and showing me who he wanted me to be. And through the struggle and the temptations to walk, to say, you know what, I can't do that, God. I'm just a teenager. I'm, I'm, I'm hurting too because I knew her. But God said, no, I want you to do this. And so we shed a lot of tears that week. But God gave me the opportunity to talk to some friends. And then a few weeks, er, so then, I know I'm telling a lot of stories, but I want you to hear kind of this progression of how God was working on me, but the temptation to walk away. My senior year in psychology class, we were sitting in class, and, and you know, we're going on, for me, it's, it's, it's always been that constant, ongoing battle. I know what my relationship with God at church, I know what it's like among my friends that are Christians, I know what it's like when I'm hanging out with people of like mind, but when it comes to school and my classmates that don't really care about God or, or, or know about God, man, it's hard. It's hard to stand when God says stand and man, you're gonna be, you might be the only one that stands. But yet, we're called to do that anyway. You know, it's not safe sometimes to stand, but God still calls us to do that. So in psychology class, my senior year in high school, we were talking about uh, the difficulties of abuse and the psychology of abuse and the challenges that we go through and how to deal with that. Man, it was a tough class. And we were early on in the class, maybe um, we had 45-minute classes, Maybe the first five, ten minutes of class, we were talking about that. And one of the students in our class got really angry, and he was sitting kind of right next to me. Um, and he stood up and he said, you know what? Nobody ever cared about me when my dad was abusing me. Nobody ever cared about me when my dad was putting out his cigars and his cigarettes on my arm. Nobody was cared about me when my dad was playing games with me and was, was taking his, his knife and, and going through my fingers and every once in a while he'd cut me. You know, no one, was, no one was there for me. No one loved me when he did that. And I remember him pulling up his, his sleeve and showing the whole class the scars up and down both of his arms because of his dad. And in that moment, God did something that scared me to death. He told me to get up and tell him that Jesus loves him. Man, no, God, why would I do that? That's too, way too scary. I'm going to be the only one, and everybody's going to laugh at me. And in that moment, the temptation was overwhelming to say no. But I tend to, tend to speak before I think sometimes, too, uh, for those of you who know me. Um, so I got up... And I said to him, I said, 
I'm supposed to tell you that God was with you and Jesus was with you in that moment. Even when you thought no one else was, God was there. And the most amazing thing happened. One by one, classmates stood up and said the same thing. So my teacher, being, being, a, <clears throat> being the smart person in the class, stood up and said, you know what? You guys need to talk about this for a little while. I'm going to leave, and I'll come back at the end of the class. So he walked out of the class, and for the next 30, 40 minutes, we just talked about that. And one by one, classmates shared their story and their faith with, with this kid, and as did I. And it was one of the most amazing experiences. But do you realize today we face all, we, every one of us face that every day, the temptation to say no to the fear and the anxiety of sharing our faith or just speaking up for God when he wants us to. Sometimes it's just an I love you. Sometimes it's just putting your hand around someone's shoulder. Sometimes it's just picking them up. Like I said earlier, sometimes when we find ourselves as Christians stuck in the mud of sin and temptation, as Christians... We watch them and we just, oh, I don't want to get stuck. So I'll, I'll yell to them and tell them how bad, wrong they are, but I'm not going to get in there with them. And sometimes God just says, you know what? Sometimes you're going to get dirty and you've got to go and help them out. Don't stay there in the bun with them, but pull them out because that's why he sent us. And so whether you're stuck and need someone to come help you, or if you're the one that's looking on, there's something for each of us to do to overcome the temptations that we face, to be that one who can help someone get unstuck. Or if we are the one stuck, cry out to someone who is willing to get there with, step in with us and pull us out. Because that's what God has called us to do. So as we talk about this today, we're going to walk through a few scriptures, and we'll go pretty quickly through these scriptures because I think they're pretty uh, self-explanatory, pretty basic, and somewhat common sense. So I hope as we walk through this, I'm going to highlight a couple of things to you, but I want to run through this quickly because, again, hopefully for each of us, these are truths and principles that are very relatable and really easy to grab a hold of. So 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 6 through 9. Peter's sharing some words with us that are, that are really simple and clear. So if we want to know what to do with temptation and how to deal with it, here's a great place that God begins to open our eyes to what temptation is and what this whole deal is all about. First he says, Humble yourselves therefore under God's mighty hand, that He may lift you up in due time. Cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for us. Be alert and of sober mind. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, looking for someone to devour. Resist him, standing firm in the faith because you know that the family of believers throughout the world is undergoing the same kind of of suffering. So I want you to, to think and see a few things here that are really simple. The first thing is our posture before God. We have to be humble. 
have the right perspective of God. When we are dealing with temptation, with the struggles that we deal with every single day, we need to understand we got to start with humility before God. Just be humble. Recognize you can't do it on your own. You can't make it. You're not going to overcome this by yourself. He doesn't want you to because he wants to be right there with you. And he sent a body of believers to do it with you together as well. Humble yourselves before God and see that he has the strength to bring you through all of these things. It says in verse 7, cast your anxieties on him because he cares for you. And that's number two, trust God with your anxiety because he cares for you. How much of us struggle with anxiety at times? It is so prevalent in our world today. It can be so overwhelming. I love to listen to sermons by other pastors. Uh, Like I said, I go to the gym. When I am on the elliptical, that's what I'm doing. I'm watching a video or or listening to audio of a pastor um, somewhere talking, and I can't tell you how often the pastors that are the, the ones that are all over the internet who are at big churches all over the country, how they struggle with anxiety because they talk about it all the time in their sermons because anxiety is real and it's something that is overwhelming our society and our communities today because we're not trusting in the Lord, because we're getting overwhelmed with life in our culture, politics, whatever it is. There's the incredible, overwhelming social media that we see. We're bombarded with anxiety, and our young people is so high. But this verse right here is simple truth that we need to hold on to every day. Cast all your anxieties on Him because He cares for you. That translates very simply, trust God with your anxiety because He cares for you. He can take it. You can just let it go and give it to Him. And he's big enough, capable enough to just wrap his arms around you and care for you in that anxiety. And then the third thing, in verse 8, there is an enemy, the devil, and he desires to devour us, so be alert on guard. Sometimes we're just going through life unaware, but we need to be aware that there is an enemy out there every day that wants to tear us down, wants to attack us, wants to break whatever God is trying to do in your life, He wants to destroy you. And He's actively working against you because He's working against God. He's working against God every day and it simply says, be alert and of sober mind. It means recognize what's going around around you. Be aware. Don't put your head in the sand and think you're impervious or insignificant enough for Satan, not to care about you. If you are about the Father's business, He is coming after you to break you down, to keep you from doing what God wants of you. And the best thing that He can do and accomplish is build on your fears, build on your anxieties, build on the temptations that are always there. Just feed it and focus you on something other than on God so that you forget. The best thing He can do, Satan, is make you believe He doesn't exist. And make you believe he's not doing anything. And in our world today, we've lost the recognition that there really is an enemy in the spiritual realm that wants to tear us down. He has no power. Understand that. And we'll get to that in a few minutes. 
But God has the power to help you overcome Satan just like that when you trust in the Father. Trust in the Holy Spirit working in your life. So be alert and of sober mind. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. And then there's this word resist. Stand firm in your faith. God has given you the ability to resist through His strength and His Holy Spirit living in each and every of you. You have, as a believer, the power of the Holy Spirit right here. And when you trust in His Spirit, when you resist actively, He will see you through it. Run from the devil, or tell the devil to run, and he has to run. When you call in the name of Jesus, he has to flee. Trust in the Father. Resist the temptation and stand against what Satan wants to do in your life so that God can have his way in you. And then he says these beautiful words, because you know that the family of believers throughout the world is undergoing the same kind of suffering, resist and stand firm in faith. We are in this together. You are never alone in your faith. You are never alone as a believer. God is with you, but you have a family of believers that is right here with you, willing to stand and hopefully walking with you. And when you do get stuck, they're there to pull you out. They're there there to walk right into that mud with you and carry you out when you cannot get out yourself. That's why we have a family, to celebrate together, to walk together, and to live together. I want you to turn to Psalms 1, chapter 1, 1 through 3. And this is really quick because, again, I think it's really simple. And hopefully you've heard these before over and over, and it's just an echoing of what you've already heard. But in Psalms, it says these words. David says, Blessed is the one who does not walk in in step with the wicked or stand in the way the sinners take or sit in the company of mockers, but who... Delight is in the law of the Lord, who meditates on his law day and night. That person is like a tree planted in streams of water and yields its fruit in season, and whose leaf does not wither. Whatever they do prospers. And this is what I want you to hear very simply. Number one, be, we will be a reflection of the company we keep. If the majority of people you spend time with are believers, you will reflect that attitude and you'll reflect that desire and heart for God as you together grow and live and do life together. That's why we stress life groups so much because we believe everyone needs a family in a group of believers, not just the church as a whole, but a small family that you can hang on to and do life together with. That may be a neighbor, some friends, but you need to do life with other believers who can strengthen you, encourage you, and walk with you, and who you can do the same with. We all need a company of believers, a family, a small family, like a life group, a small group, a Bible study, friends who can be there with you, and that you can be there with. The company you keep is who you will often be. Conversely, if you keep company with those who are far from God all the time, you will reflect them more than God. Now, I want you to hear this very, very carefully. Choose your friends wisely. 
and love your neighbors. Choose your friends wisely, but love your neighbors. It doesn't mean that God doesn't want you to love the people around you if they're not believers. Yes, you need to love them. You need to care for them. You need to invest in them. You need to share your faith with them. But where you get the source of your strength as a believer is not just from the Lord, but also from your fellow believers. So choose your friends wisely. Surround yourself with those whose company is in the presence of God. And then also, love your neighbors as God instructs. That they too would experience and know the love of Jesus. Keep sharing your faith, but keep encouraging them to be part of the family of God. Galatians chapter 6, verse 1 through 3. This one, I think, is so important as we talk today about what it means to walk together in this unsafe world. Temptation is going to hit us every day, and we need to be realize that it's not safe. Yet, in this unsafe world where we experience temptation, God has already put in place how to overcome it. Galatians chapter 6, 1 through 3 says these words, Brothers and sisters, if, if one of you or some of you, someone is caught in sin, you who live by the Spirit should restore that person gently. Hear those words right now. I want you to hear those today so loud and clear. Brothers and sisters, if someone is caught in sin, you who live by the Spirit should restore that person what? What? Did you guys hear that word? Gently. How many times in the church do we restore people loudly, harshly? Because we think we're supposed to be judge and jury. That's not what God says right here. It says restore those who have fallen gently. Love them into the presence of God. And we can do that together. And then it says, but watch yourselves, or you may also be tempted. Earlier I said, we can go into the mud and pull them out, but don't stay there. We're not called to stay in the mud with them. We're called to help them out of it. But when we stay there, we too can get caught. And it says, but watch yourselves, or you also may be tempted. Verse 2, carry each other's burdens, and in this way you will fulfill the law of Christ. If anyone thinks they are something when they are not, they deceive themselves. Brings us back to that first verse, humble yourselves. So very simply, all have sinned. All of us sin. Sooner or later we're going to make a mistake and we're going to get stuck in sin. When you do, do you not want someone to come and restore you gently? If we... When we sin, want someone to restore us gently, don't we want to do the same as well? Hear that. If we sin, do we not want those who come to help us to do it so gently and lovingly? Then we should do the same as well. But be careful. When we see others sin, we, the family of believers, need to be willing to do that. But don't get stuck along there with them. Go in to the mud and pull them out. Don't get sucked in where you stay there and get stuck. Go there and help them out. 
We are called to walk with each other, love each other, carry each other's burdens. Verse 2 says, carry each other's burdens, and in this way you will fulfill the law of Christ. We need to carry and walk with each other. We are not meant to do this life alone. We are meant to do it in community with each other. And you have people in our church right now, all around you, believers in your community, in your life group, in your Bible study, live on your street. You need to live in community with other believers so that when we struggle, we're not alone. So that when we are doing well, we can pull others out. And when we struggle, they can pull us out. That we can do it together. Hopefully you know the verse in in Scripture that talks about three strands is always better than one. We are always stronger in the face of temptation, in the face of life, when we are bonded together as a family of believers, then we are trying to do it on our own, by ourselves. Hear that today. Carry each other's burdens. We are in this together, not alone. So how can we respond to this unsafe world we live in today? In these truths that we have looked through in Scripture right now, the last few minutes, what can we do in response? What do we need to do? The first one is celebrate that God is our strength today. We need to celebrate that God is right here with us. His Holy Spirit is walking with us every day, and we do not have to fear. We do not have to have anxiety because we know that He is our strength today. Celebrate that. Trust in God that he will provide a way out under temptation. God's word tells us that when we are tempted, he will show a way out. But we have to look for it and we have to run to it. God will show us a way. We have to trust that and believe it and then look for it. You have been forgiven through Jesus Christ. Every one of us, we don't have to stay in sin. We are forgiven. Jesus died on the cross to wipe our sins away. He was resurrected so that we have that freedom in Him. He won. And so we have won alongside of Him. We do not have to be stuck in sin. We are forgiven. There is hope in Jesus. He is the way, the only way we need to trust in Him. And the last thing, this is one one that I want to hear you hear to hear very, 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 very clearly. We've already won. Did you hear me? We've already won because Jesus won. God won. Yes, every day it's an ongoing battle with temptation. But God won the war in, with, through Jesus Christ. We may be fighting a daily battle, but the war has already been won, and we can celebrate that. And we can live in that victory in knowing that Jesus paid it all on the cross and we can live in freedom and we don't have to sin. I hope you hear that today. We've won. Does that excite you? Does it get you excited to know that in the face of the temptation we deal with every day, Jesus won already and we don't have to fight the war we just have to fight the daily battle 
that we know God already won. And so we can live in freedom. We can live in celebration. We can live in hope and expectation that there is more because Jesus paid the price. And in his resurrection, he won the war. Isn't that something to celebrate today? So I want to close with this. One of the things that God has been teaching me, not only in this, in this message in this series, but also over time, as it's something that, that I, I love to hold on to, the anger and the frustration of hurt that people have done to me. And some of us, we struggle with that. And Ephesians chapter 4, 26 through 27 kind of speaks a little bit to this. But in my life and in ministry, I've seen lots of different challenges. And I want to share a real quick story before we finish. And, and, I, hope, and I hope you hear, I, I thought that I was righteous in my anger. But even sometimes when we are righteous in our anger, God doesn't want us to be angry because He wants us to love instead. In Michigan, I was in charge of a, of a large life group, and we had, or I mean, youth group, and we had a youth center, and uh, we were open three to four nights a week. Two of those nights were middle school students, fifth grade and sixth grade and seventh and eighth grade. One seventh and eighth grade night that we were having youth group, youth group was, was over, and we allow students to hang out for about half an hour afterwards. We have, there's a big center, all, t- all kinds of things to do, games and stuff like that. While I was at the door, or by the door, um, a parent came up to pick up his daughter, and when he walked in, we always had security. We had someone at the door for this expressed reason to keep our kids safe, to keep everyone safe. He comes to me and he says, you need to know this father is drunk. He came to pick up his daughter. He wants to leave. I can't get him to stay. What do I do? He drove his motorcycle to, to the, the youth center. He was drunk, could barely stand up, but he was walking. I called the police. I said, hey, look, I, we have a parent here. He's drunk. He wants to pick up his kid. You need to get here right away. What can I do? And I heard the most disheartening thing I think I've ever heard on a phone call. And the police officer said, there's nothing you can do. You cannot detain them. You cannot stop them. If they want to go, you have to let them leave. You can try to stall. You can try to keep them there. We have people already on a cause. I don't know how long it might take us to get there. This, granted, this is a very small town. Lots of police. There should have been no reason why they couldn't get there in about two minutes. They didn't really care. And as I'm talking on the phone to this, to this uh, police, dispatch police officer, I'm like, you need to send someone. He is going to get on this motorcycle with his daughter and drive home. It's only a mile to his house, but they could die. You need to get here. Um, I'm sorry. We'll get there when we can. You can't stop them from leaving. You have to let them go. And that was just, one, it was heartbreaking, but man, it made me angry. I don't know about you, but I was infuriated. God, why or how could you let this happen? So this father was determined to leave. We could not stop him, and so he walked out with his daughter, got on their motorcycle, drove away. The only good thing about the story is they made it home safe. But what would have happened if something had 
gone wrong. I was so angry that I didn't want to let it go. Angry at this parent, angry at the community, angry at the police officers. And what God began to tell me was, your anger is not going to accomplish anything. You need to love them instead. God, how can I love them? They're idiots. They're stupid. They don't know what they're doing. And you know, what he began to say was, you can let your anger go because I'm not angry with them. I love them too much. You need to love them too. Wow. That was hard. Hard to hear. God loves them too. Even though I took that personally and it hurt me, you know what? They're hurting and they're broken. And God wasn't calling me to judge them and beat them up for it, but rather to love them and to bring them to Him. My anger was never going to bring them to the Lord. So I needed to love them. And I needed to be an example for all of my youth leaders and all of the other students under my ministry to do the same. That's not easy, is it? But that's what God is calling us to do. So I want to invite our worship team to come up and uh, they're going to sing a song here in just a moment. But before they do, I'm going to have someone, I'm going to um, put someone on the spot here this morning, but I told them I might do this, so, so they're going to come up here anyway. Where's Dick? Where did Dick go? There he is. This is my friend Dick. He told me well, he wasn't going to be here this morning, so I ha- didn't plan to have him, but he showed up this morning, so I'm going to make him talk anyway. Uh, um, you are going on the trip in a couple weeks, correct? Correct. So, um, so I want you to be praying for him. We're going to pray for the team in a couple weeks before they go. But uh, Dick's just going to share really quickly about this idea of temptation and um, how God has worked in his life. Well, Pastor Aaron, I have to tell you that I am not inclined towards doing things of God. I am inclined towards sin. And in almost 70 years, it had, nothing has changed. And I, I love this passage because it really says it all. The mighty hand of God. You know, it, it, when God led them out of Israel, it said, follow the mighty hand of God, brought the people of Israel out of Egypt. And that's what I do every morning. I, I say, there's nothing I can do internally to fight from suicidal sin, is what I call it. But with the power of the living God, I can, I can prevent sin in my life. Not with my own strength, but with God's strength. And if I don't do that daily, I will fall. I will fall because, again, I'm being honest. I am not inclined towards God. I'm only inclined towards sin. So thank you for this passage, bringing it back up, and letting us see that there is a way out of this. Mm. There is a way out of this. It's by relying on the strength of God saying, God, give me the grace to fight sinful acts, sinful thoughts, sinful deeds, sinful actions this day. Mm. So let me read this verse real quick. Ephesians 4, 26 and 27 says, And don't sin by letting anger control you. Don't let the sin go down, or don't let the sun go down while you are still angry. For anger gives a foothold to the devil. Who needs to hear that this morning? That you need to let go of your anger today. I know I need to hear that this morning. But who else needs to hear that? 
And don't sin by letting anger control you. Don't let the sun go down while you are still angry, for the anger gives the devil a foothold. Today, if you've got anger, get rid of it today. Deal with God. Let God deal with it. Do not let the sun go down. That's so necessary. Thank you, Dick. I appreciate that. Let's listen to some worship through song and celebrate together. Would you?